This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is Friday, August 5th, and this is People Every Day. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Janine Rubenstein here, and we are officially done with the first work week of August. I was in CVS the other day, and they already have Halloween candy out. Like, guys, <laughs> it's still 90 degrees outside. Can we chill? Though, the bag of mini Reese's and baby Ruth's was tempting. (laughs) All right, we have a great crop of stories to get to for today before your weekend, so let's get right to it. First up, John Legend has opened up about his friendship with Kanye West, and ladies and gentlemen, it's over. Legend appeared on David Axelrod's podcast, The Axe Files, this past week, where he revealed that the two have grown apart since West began to publicly support Donald Trump in 2016 and began running for office himself. We aren't friends as much as we used to be, Legend told Axelrod on the show. I honestly think because we publicly disagreed on his running for office, his supporting Trump, I think it became too much for us to sustain our friendship. So Legend and West used to be close friends and collaborators, with West producing several of Legend's early songs, including Heaven and Used to Love You. The two artists also appeared on a few tracks together, including the aptly titled It's Over. But the final nail in the coffin for their friendship appears to have been hammered when Legend refused to support West's presidential run in 2020. Quote, he was upset that I didn't support his run for presidency of the United States of America for understandable reasons, Legend said. I wasn't alone in that, but, you know, he was not happy about that. And we really haven't been close since then. I totally get where Legend is coming from here. I am supportive of all my friends, but sometimes being supportive means telling your friend that running for president is maybe not the best idea. Hopefully the two can make amends one day. In sadder breakup news, we have an update to our ongoing story about the falling out between Neo and his wife, Crystal Renee. Neo first spoke to us about the struggles he and Renee incurred when we interviewed him last month. Well, a few weeks after that interview, Renee posted on Instagram accusing her husband of repeated infidelity. And now we've learned that Renee has officially filed for divorce from the R&B singer just months after the two renewed their vows this past April. The divorce papers, which were filed in Atlanta earlier this week, claim the pair's marriage is, quote, irretrievably broken with no hope for reconciliation. And they reveal that, according to Renee, the two have been separated since July 22nd. The documents also allege that the Grammy Award-winning artist has not only been unfaithful in their marriage, but actually fathered a child with another woman. Meanwhile, Renee says she's been taking care of the couple's three children since the separation, and she's seeking primary physical custody and joint legal custody, as well as child support and alimony. Wow. Clearly, there is a lot going on there, and still a lot we don't know. We'll keep you updated as we learn more. And now on to some exciting news for fans of the hit Netflix reality show, Selling Sunset. No, we don't know for sure if Christine is back yet, but two new cast members have been confirmed to join the show for the series' upcoming sixth and seventh season. And if these initial impressions are any indication, they'll fit right in. 
Nicole Young, the first new cast member, is no stranger to the Oppenheim group. She's actually been a longtime member of the group and is a close friend of her future co-stars, Jason Oppenheim and Mary Fitzgerald. In fact, she was originally set to appear on the show as far back as season one. She said, originally, I was part of the main cast. This is what she told People this week. Honestly, at the time, I just got cold feet right before they were going to start filming. I just wasn't ready to expose my entire life and even more so my clients and business, which I'm very protective of, to the entire world. That's understandable. But now, five seasons after Selling Sunset's first episode, Young feels ready to join her fellow agents on camera. I've grown personally and professionally a lot, she says. At the end of the day, it's an incredible opportunity and a rise to the occasion kind of moment. Uh, We can't wait to see her and wish her all the best of luck with that wild and crazy crew. (laughs) The other big new cast member, model and real estate agent Brie Tiasi is bringing along a new little face of her own, her five-week-old son, Legendary Love, whom she shares with actor Nick Cannon. I'm not going to necessarily hide him from anything, Tiasi said in an exclusive interview with People. It is what it is between his dad and I. He's still obviously so little, so I will protect him from the majority of it for a little while. So Selling Sunset is one of my favorite reality shows out there right now, and I personally can't wait to see these new faces in the mix. The only bad news from this casting update, we still don't have a premiere date for season six. Come on, Netflix. And now this. Yesterday was the latest heartbreaking and infuriating update in the Brittany Griner trial. And if you're anything like us, you have a lot of questions. We sit down with an expert on the matter, Angela Rye, to figure out what the latest development means for the WNBA star. Next. Final verdict is nine years of imprisonment of the nine million rubles penalty in the penal colony. She will serve her term from the day of the announcement of this verdict. If you listen to this podcast, you know that we have been updating you and tracking the story of WNBA star Brittany Griner. After weeks of anticipation, closing arguments were held in court yesterday, and then we all sat and held our breath, waiting for the verdict to come through. The verdict came back pretty quickly, and as cameras captured Brittany, shackled in the cell in the courtroom, we were able to see her very stoic reaction as a translator delivered the news that she was sentenced to nine years in prison, with time served included in that sentence. This sentence comes after Secretary of State Blinken recently spoke out publicly about an offer for a prisoner swap with Russia to bring Brittany home. Here to go through this update, we are happy to have with us again on this story, politics and culture commentator and ESPN special correspondent, Angela Rye. Hi, Angela. Hi, Janine. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So what were your thoughts as you watched this unfold, you as someone who have been just trumpeting the injustice that this is for a long time? What we are seeking for Brittany Griner is ultimately a presidential pardon from Russia. She had to be sentenced first. I think that those who are most hopeful among us still hoped that there would be some semblance of justice in the Russian court. It is hard to stomach hearing nine years and on top of nine years, a fine, particularly when Brittany hasn't just been an all-star athlete for us. She hasn't just been an all-star athlete for Russia. She's been an all-star humanitarian and has contributed greatly to global sports. So you would think that there would be some 
flexibility, some grace given to the type of human being she is. You would hope that when you're in a courtroom, regardless of where you sit globally, that the defense offered by her attorneys, that this was accidental, that this is someone who has contributed greatly to global discourse, to global sports, to humanity, that all of that would come into play. But the maximum sentence was 10 years and she was given nine. And again, with a fine, regardless of us knowing that this was a necessary next step in the process, it was hard to stomach. And even to hear Brittany speak out, to talk about her sentence, to talk about, to plead for leniency, right, from the judge and to not get that. I think that it speaks volumes about the type of legal system that Russia has, and it speaks volumes to all of us on why it's so important for her to get home and to get home immediately. Well, Angela, let's just think about what those next nine years could possibly look like if something isn't done. She is supposed to be sent to a penal colony, which is their form of prison. And we have heard just mixed reports about what that could be like. I mean, some prisoners have reported being tortured or beaten by fellow inmates, some having to work 16-hour days or being forced to watch Russian propaganda on repeat. We also hear that there could be work camp-type labor where they're having to sew and do things like that. So what's your take on that, on, on what could be for her? What I understand is that Russia has one of the strictest, harshest criminal justice systems in the world, and especially in Europe. There are more than 500,000 inmates currently incarcerated in penal colonies in Russia. And to think of Brittany having to go there based on this accidental occurrence when she has a prescription for medical marijuana because of past injuries. It's just, it's unexplainable. She's already spent months without speaking to family, without seeing her loved ones. And it's just time for her to be home. What have we heard on her possible release? It's been a month since they offered Victor Bout in exchange for Brittany and Paul Whelan. There's been one conversation with Secretary Blinken and his counterpart at the Kremlin, President Biden and Vice President Harris responded yesterday right after the sentencing, saying that she's been wrongfully detained, that they were doing everything in their power to get her home. But part of this is about a response from Russia. The National Security Advisor at the White House yesterday also spoke out about this, saying that Russia has to respond. Yeah, actually, uh, Angela, my coworker, Julie Maciata, caught up with Brittany Griner's lawyer, Maria Blago-Valina, and she just spoke to us after the sentencing and, and, and had a lot to say about what they're trying to do now. I know you both said that you plan to appeal. How does that process work from here? Well, we have 10 days to file the appeal to the appeal court, that's the higher instance. So, I mean, we just, we will start working on it, I think, on Monday. And so we plan to file it somewhere at the end of next week. And once that, once you file the appeal, how soon would another trial start? It's, it's quite unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And it's not too, too, too soon yet. Usually. Do you expect that her sentence would change from it? I know you said it's unpredictable, but... Well, I mean, as legal team, we we think we need to do maximum Mm. to get a shorter term. So we need to 
use every legal opportunity that we have. And appeal is one of these opportunities. For you, someone who has covered her genius on the court and someone who is in contact with family, but for the family, for the loved ones, for Sherelle, her wife, what have we heard? What do we know about how this is affecting them on the home front? The one thing I can say about Sherelle Griner, just on the other side of studying for the bar all summer, having to deal with the pressure of this, being forced into learning so much about the Russian legal system so she could be helpful to Brittany, who she calls her person, is she has the strength of the ancestors, man. Like she is holding out hope and to know now that she's got to deepen into that fight and continue hope, being hopeful because the moment she gives up hope, that is the moment that it really impacts Brittany. Hearing the sentence is like a form of closure for her. And she's saying, and now we live on to fight another day and I'm going to do everything I can to get Brittany back home. Thank you so, so much, Angela, for taking the time and for being here. Thank you so much, Janine. The Alex Jones defamation trial took an explosive turn this week with enough twists for a Law & Order episode. We'll break it down for you coming up. But first, you guys know the drill. It is Friday, and that can only mean one thing, brand new music. We've got hits from DJ Khaled, uh, Craig Morgan, and John Legend all coming up. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, you guys, it's New Music Friday, and we have so many great tracks for you today. First things first, do you hear anyone familiar on this new DJ Khaled song? Yep, that's right. That was Drake, featured on the brand new song Stayin' Alive, which also features Lil Baby. It is the first single from Khaled's next record, God Did. And like always with DJ Khaled, it's catchy, it's dancey, and it's oddly inspirational. If you're at home, you might want to check out the music video too, because it's wild. You've got Drake and Lil Baby in scrubs, dancing all over a hospital. Meanwhile, DJ Khaled is performing surgery. (laughs) It's hard to explain and too good to miss. Next up, for the country fans out there, Craig Morgan put out his first song in nearly two years today. Here it is, titled How You Make a Man.
While Morgan doesn't officially have a new album announced yet, he is finally going back on tour for his previous album, 2020's God, Family, Country. Now, God, Family, Country is also the title of Morgan's memoir, which will be released alongside his tour this fall and cover Morgan's career as well as his experience as an Army veteran. That memoir comes out September 27th. And finally, his friendship with Kanye may be over, but his music is back and as good as ever. Here is John Legend and Saweetie with All She Wanna Do. All she wanna do is dance. All I wanna do is pull her clothes. Got me in the palm of her hands. She don't want this song to be over. Feels like I've been waiting for forever. You heard it here first, you guys. All she want to do is dance. And with a song this groovy, how can you blame her? That is the new single off of Legend's upcoming double album, which will also feature Rick Ross, Money Long, Jasmine Sullivan, Rhapsody, and more. It comes out September 9th. And if this song is any indication, it's going to be a great one. Next up, it's been a wild week in the courtroom for notorious radio personality Alex Jones. We've got the latest on his defamation trial next. Almost 10 years ago, tragedy tore through Newtown, Connecticut, when a gunman opened fire at Sandy Hook Elementary School and senselessly murdered 20 children and six adults. And yesterday, a jury in Texas has found InfoWars host and conspiracy theorist Alex Jones liable for $4.1 million in damages for his repeated lies claiming the shooting was, quote, manufactured, and that the parents who lost their children in the massacre were actors, the New York Times reported that at the time. This result comes after a two-week trial to determine how much Jones and his media company must pay Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin, whose six-year-old son, Jesse Lewis, was murdered during the 2012 massacre. And they sued him for defamation. So there's so much to get into here. And joining me now to discuss all of this is Senior People Digital Crime Editor, Greg Hamlin. Hey, Greg. Hey, Janine. Thanks for having me. Let's get into the backstory as to why this trial happened in the first place. In October of last year, Alex was found legally responsible for spreading false inflammatory statements about the shooting, right? Yes, he was found legally responsible by a judge for his repeated and baseless lies that the Sandy Hook shooting was staged, that the parents were crisis actors and these already grieving parents having suffered the unthinkable loss of their kids. They've been threatened. They've been harassed. Just completely monstrous. And this trial at least provides some measure of accountability. What was the reasoning behind spreading such toxic lies? He claims the internet had questions and I had questions and the old just asking questions defense. As for what actually motivated him, just some sociopathic monstrousness that is beyond my understanding of the human psyche. Obviously, financial gain. I mean, we're in a time where conspiracy theories and baseless claims and magic bullet theories that that claim to explain a lot of things and demonize powerful groups. And these things have great psychological appeal to mass numbers of, of Americans. And I think a character like Jones is diabolically savvy enough to realize that and was able to capitalize on it. Certainly, he's not the only one. For sure. Well, let's talk about the trial itself, because there were a lot of bombshell moments, including Alex's lawyers sending Scarlett and Neil's lawyers two years of data from Jones's entire cell phone. So let's take a listen to this. 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent 
for the past two years. You know what perjury is, right? I just want to make sure you know before we go any further. You know what it is. Yes, I do. I mean, I'm not a tech guy. I told you I gave in my testimony the phone to the lawyers before whatever. And, and so you got my phone, but we didn't give it to you. What did we learn from this cell phone release? Jones essentially lied on the stand by saying that he did not discuss the Sandy Hook shooting in text messages. In reality, we learned from this erroneous data dump by his lawyer that he had repeated references to Sandy Hook in his text history. The plaintiff's lawyer confronted him and he said, this is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have messages about Sandy Hook. And Jones doubled down on his lies. He claimed that the Sandy Hook mention was there because he was searching his phone for the term Sandy Hook. But it, it appears pretty clearly that he got caught in a lie. Well, the judge also ripped into Alex at one point. So take a listen to this. It seems absurd to instruct you again that you must tell the truth while you testify. Yet here I am. You must tell the truth while you testify. This is not your show. So Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin were also able to confront Alex about his lies earlier this week, and I, I just need to play a little bit of that as well. When you lose a child, you're, you're losing part of yourself, and those feelings don't go away. So take people into what they had to say about what the actual real-life effect of all of this has been on them. It's so surreal to even have to picture this, but the mom just looked at Alex and said, my son existed. That simple assertion of an unassailable fact, the fact that she felt the need to say that and underscore it, it is just an incredibly disturbing sign of our times. One of the satisfying aspects of that is that she confronted Jones on deliberately peddling these lies. And she said, I know you know that. During this whole time, Jones was shaking his head, just responding as he always does with bluster and just heaping lies. Well, lastly, let's talk about this verdict that came in. Uh, Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin were seeking $150 million in damages, but Alex Jones is only liable for $4.1 million of that. What are your thoughts on this? The $4.1 million, this is part of it. This was the compensatory damage. There's a, another phase of this that will go to punitive damages, so it's possible that the plaintiffs will get more. Lewis and Heslin, the plaintiffs, claimed that they were happy with this and this measure of accountability. Jones himself also claimed victory. He called it a major victory for truth that wouldn't shut Infowars down. And it's worth noting that on the stand in his testimony, Jones had said that a $2 million judgment would destroy him financially. Now, whether or not that's true is very much an open question, as Jones has been accused of hiding money from judgments with phony claims of bankruptcy. But there's actually two more lawsuits from other Sandy Hook parents. And so it's it's possible that these judgments against him will add up and make a real dent. As Scarlett Lewis, you know, said herself, money is sort of the only incentive to get him to stop this monstrous and incredibly harmful behavior. My heart still continues to break for these parents. Greg, thank you so much for coming on to discuss this with me. Janine, thanks for having me on. And there it is. Just like that, the end of another week. And if you're anything like me, you probably spent the last seven days with Beyonce's latest album, Renaissance, on repeat. Whether you're singing along in the car or listening while you, you know, go about your day, I think it's needless to say we all got B on the brain. But one TV news reporter in Philadelphia took her fandom to the next level this week when she gave a traffic update 
only a Beehive member could love. Let's take a listen. Thank you, Bill. I always appreciate it when you say my name. Now, if you're just waking up, I hope that you had some sweet dreams. I just heard a groan. I hope you had some sweet dreams. But traffic is getting heated, and it's starting to break my soul just a little bit. So let's take a look at Monroe Township. Now, listen, I told you a few minutes ago that 95 was still looking good right around Common Avenue. Now it's going to look like I'm lying because it is pretty jammed up, but at least I'm a beautiful liar. You might want to move over to the left, to the left. We need you to be careful as you head out the door, start your commute to work, make that money, pay those bills, bills, <laughs> bills. Just bay alert out there. If everyone takes it easy this morning, we can be crazy in love with a nice, calm commute. Aaron and Keith, you know that I love you like XO. I'm going to send it back to you. In just under 90 seconds, NBC10 Philadelphia reporter Sheila Watko managed to make 15 references to Beyonce's song titles, all while giving a killer traffic report. The feat caught the attention of several people, including Beyonce's mom, Tina Knowles Lawson, who reposted the original clip on her Instagram with the caption, this is so cool, all song titles, and threw in a heart emoji to boot. As a fellow journalist and member of the Beehive, I'd like to congratulate Watko on her excellent reporting and apologize to everyone when I try and break her record for inserting Beyonce titles into all of my stories next week (laughs) or, you know, break my soul trying. (laughs) Just kidding. Hope that was something to make you smile. All of you are just irreplaceable. Now just go run the world. (laughs) I'll stop. I'll stop. Seriously, have some fun in the sun and we'll be back Monday with another brand new episode of People Every Day. People Every Day is produced by Chrissy Lindquist, Tony Mantia, Amy Machado, Madison Lesby, with help from Patrick Vermillion and the great team at Pod People. People's producers are me, Janine Rubenstein, and Charlotte Triggs, with help from Eliza Sessler and Fallon Harge. Edited by Morgan Foos, Carter Wogan, and Michael Aquino. And executive produced by David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman.